everyone. This is Amanda Borchel Dan. And I'm Jessica Steinberg. Your host for Times Will Tell, a weekly podcast from the Times of Israel. Hi, Times Will Tell listeners. It's Jessica Steinberg with you today. The recent overturning of the landmark Roe versus Wade ruling by the Supreme Court will probably remake how access to abortion looks in America, with nearly half of the states on track to outrightly ban or severely limit the procedure. A week later after the overturning in Israel, the Knesset Labor, Welfare, and Health Committee approved new regulations aimed at making it easier for women to get an abortion. This was considered a key change in the decades-old regulations that includes drug-induced early-term abortions at local HMO clinics rather than only at hospitals, and allowing women to no longer have to face a review committee in person, instead undergoing it in a digitized application process. We're going to speak about all of this and other aspects of reproductive rights in Israel with Dr. Noya Rimalt. She is the founding co-director of Israel's Forum for Gender, Law, and Policy, and a University of Haifa faculty member who is currently in the States serving as a scholar-in-residence at Hadassah Brandeis Institute. Dr. Rimalt was central to the new regulations that were made. Dr. Rimalt, welcome to Times Will Tell. Thank you. So we'd really like to hear more about this reform, about the regulations. Are they ref- Is it a reform, actually, or is it regulations? And of course, your role in the process. Please tell us Thank you very much. So as you said, Jessica, it's true that new uh, regulations were approved by the Knesset Committee, and these regulations made three minor procedural changes uh, in the work of uh, the committees. So the first change is that medical abortions can be performed now in uh, community clinics. Uh, Women who are seeking uh, uh, to end uh, pregnancy no longer need to go to a public hospital. They can go to their uh, community clinic and do it there. Some intrusive and unnecessary questions were erased from the formal forms that women uh, um, seeking abortion uh, need to fill out. And lastly, you can apply for abortion online, but that doesn't mean that you don't need to come before a committee. This was missed. So you can apply online, so you don't need to come to the nearest public hospital to to make the application to request an abortion. You can apply online. Um, The question whether the committee members will ask to see you or not is a discretionary matter. It is up to the committee members. Some committees don't uh, meet with the women unless the women ask to be heard by committee members. But this is a discretionary matter that is up to the committee and the new regulation made no difference in this context. It's only uh, this online application. What's the point of the committee? Okay, so we we need actually to start from the beginning, right? Because in order for us to understand uh, what difference did these regulations make and to understand the general context and how significant it is, we really must get a sense, you know, first of what Israel's abortion law looks like. 
So Israel abortion law is part of the a, a criminal code. It is a law that was enacted in the 70s. Uh, it's a law that imposes a, a broad criminal ban on abortion while granting a committee of uh, three members uh, consisting of two doctors and a social worker, uh, the law gives this committee uh, the discretion to approve a request for abortion based on one of four possible grounds. So the first possible ground for abortion is age-related. If the woman is under marriage age, which is 18 or over 40, the committee can give her permission for abortion. Um, the second ground for abortion um, is related um, to personal circumstances. So if uh, the pregnancy is out of wedlock, meaning if you are single, if you're not married, or if you committed adultery, so the pregnancy is not from your husband, if the pregnancy is the result of rape or incest, so these are the personal circumstances that set uh, uh, the basis for the second ground for abortion. Third ground for abortion is health-related. If there is a risk uh, uh, um, that continuation of the pregnancy might risk the life of the woman or her physical or mental health. And finally, the fourth ground uh, for abortion uh, relates to fetal abnormalities. Um, so these are uh, the four uh, different uh, grounds. So it means that there is no right to abortion on demand in Israel. You're totally, as a woman, seeking to terminate an unwanted pregnancy. You're totally dependent on a public committee of three strangers. Uh, you have to file a request and to be granted permission in order uh, to to have an abortion, and the formal legal grounds for abortion are relatively narrow, right? There is no socioeconomic ground for abortion, which is the most common ground. Most women seek abortion because of socioeconomic consideration. So this is not part of the law in Israel. So the new regulation changed nothing with regard to the general framework of the law. These are only regulations. The law has not been changed. It is still the case that if you want to end an unwanted pregnancy as a woman, you have no control whatsoever over this decision. You're totally dependent on the public committee that decides your reproductive fate. Now, Dr. Imalt, how in practice, when women go, when women do decide to end an unwanted pregnancy and they go through this process, how common is it that requests are approved? And you've also actually written a blog for the Times of Israel about this. You said that women often lie about why they want an abortion in order to be able to end the pregnancy that they do not want. So if you could talk a little bit about that, how common is it? Do women lie a lot? And are abortions approved, even if women are lying about the circumstances? So often, women have no other choice but to lie. And the group of women who have um, 
the greatest problem with the law are married women. women. If you're a single woman, there is a formal legal ground for abortion, right? So if you are unmarried, single, uh, the committee can grant you permission to abortion. But if you are married and you don't meet the age criminal or health-related grounds for abortion that are relatively rare, right? I, I said it before. In most instances, women seek to end an unwanted pregnancy because of socioeconomic reasons. And this is the case not only in Israel, but around the globe, right? This is the reality. This is the global reality of women. So if you are a married woman and you don't meet the criminal age or health-related, and this is the case in most instances, so what can you do? You can just manipulate your way to legal abortion how you can manipulate your way to legal abortion. For married women, there are two options. Either you come before the committee and you claim that you committed adultery, that the pregnancy is not from your husband, even if it's not the case. And the second option is to rely on the uh, mental harm ground, uh, presenting yourself as, an aunt, as a woman who is mentally unstable, uh, you need to bring a psychiatric uh, evaluation um, to present it to the committee. So basically, you need to present yourself as bad or mad in order to get permission for abortion. And the pregnancy termination committees, as I said, these committees uh, consist of two doctors and a social workers. These people know the field, and they know that, I mean, if, if you don't give this woman permission to abortion, she will seek abortion anyhow, right? This is the history of, right? Of, uh, this is the reproductive history of women. So they would rather see women having safe abortion in public hospitals. And, and how can they check? You say you, are, uh, you committed adultery, can they really check it? And you, you pay the psychiatrist and you now, so, so, so they approve abortion. 99% of applications for uh, abortions are approved by the committees. So what we have here, and I described it somewhere else, I called it, this is the paradox of a rightless access to abortion, right? No rights a very humiliating and degrading process for many women who have to manipulate uh, their way to legal abortion and, and, and really, I mean, a, a, a process that undermines their human dignity and, and, and everything else. But still, if you are willing to play the game, eventually you end up getting permission for abortion in a public hospital, a safe abortion that sometimes is even funded by the state. We're going to take a quick break from my conversation with Dr. Noya Rimalt about reproductive rights in Israel. Hi, Times Will Tell listeners. We're glad you're with us for Times Will Tell, our weekly Times Visual podcast. You should also check out our daily briefing, the 15-minute podcast dropped every Sunday through Thursday, in which we speak to our fellow Times of Israel reporters and correspondents covering the very latest news and headlines. You can subscribe to the daily briefing wherever you find your podcasts. Podcasts. 
Shalom, dear listeners. This is Daniil Hartman. And I'm Yossi Klein Halevi. Together we host the podcast For Heaven's Sake from the Shalom Hartman Institute. These have been some of the most challenging days for me personally, for Israel, and for the Jewish people. And one of the ways in which I've gotten through this is that I found solace and meaning through discussions with my dear friend and study partner, Daniil Hartman. And I hope that the Times of Israel listeners will join us as we continue to tackle the pressing questions facing the Jewish people here at For Heaven's Sake, which has become the number one Judaism podcast. Well, Daniil, I'd also like to recommend the Identity Crisis podcast hosted by our colleague and friend Yehuda Kurtzer. It's a series of fantastic conversations with leading figures in Jewish life, thought, and culture. You know, for decades, the Hartman Institute has been a preeminent destination for Jewish ideas and learning. Now you can access Hartman Ideas on these chart-topping podcasts at shalomhartman.org forward slash podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll privileged to help guide you through these challenging and even unsettling times. We're back with Dr. Noyeri Malt, the University of Haifa faculty member, a law professor who is also the founding co-director of Israel's Forum for Gender, Law, and Policy, speaking about her work for pushing forward reproductive rights in Israel in the wake of the recent overturning of the landmark Roe v. Wade ruling by the Supreme Court several weeks ago. Roe versus Wade, we're having the overturning of that in the States and half of the United States, which is a huge number of people who are going to be affected by this. How long have you been working on trying to change the regulations in Israel? And as you're explaining it, making these small steps. So let me start by saying that I'm working on abortion reform in Israel for more than a decade now. So I've been in this game for a long time. Uh, I must also tell you that on a personal note, I myself needed an abortion when I was a young married woman. I know exactly what, you know, the, the, the process looks like. And once you experience it, you, you, you have a better understanding how, how desperate change is, right? How, how urgent it is for us uh, to, to promote change. So I, I, I drafted a proposal for legislative reform in Israel in, in, in 2014. And really, the only way to change the situation is by abolishing the old law and uh, legislating a new law that would recognize a woman's right to abortion on demand, at least in the first trimester. And that, was, that has been my goal for many, many years. And my uh, proposal for legislative reform have been submitted to the Knesset in 2014. And then again, and again, and again, and again, whenever a new Knesset have been elected. And as you know, many Knesset have been elected ever since. So, but I'm a realistic person. So, and I'm determined uh, uh, to make change. Even a small change, you know, even small changes matter for women. So once I realized that legislative reform is, is almost impossible to promote within, you know, the, the, the current uh, political climate, and that has been the case for, for more than a decade now. So I've been starting uh, uh, to think about procedural changes. Um, and as, as part of this effort, we also formed a coalition of, of numerous organizations and NGOs that are involved in reproductive rights. 
And we have been working together, pushing for these small reforms for more than a year. I myself, I met with top officials at the Ministry of Health, tried to explain there are some additional changes that are underway that I hope to be able to promote in the next couple of months. So, but it really has been an, a, a tremendous effort. And I, I, I really, I congratulate uh, the top officials in the Ministry of Health for working with us and for pushing this forward. But we need to, um, to, to remember that these are only procedural changes. They're definitely making uh, um, the situation better. We started to work on it long before Dobbs was uh, decided. And it was a coincidence that it has been approved a week after. It was only because the government, you know, um, resigned and we, we, we needed very quickly for the Knesset committee to approve this regulation before uh, uh, it ends its term at the end of June. So it was kind of coincident, but still symbolic. I think symbolically, it's very important that while the United States take us decades backwards to a dark time, uh, it, it's important, symbolically, it's important that Israel uh, comes up with a different statement, you know, even if it doesn't abolish, you know, it's problematic abortion. No, trying to make abortion more accessible to women is definitely something we should all uh, uh, be happy uh, uh, for. What is the process that is holding back the changes that you've been trying to push for for the last decade? There are similar political developments in Israel. When you compare Israel to the United States, you can definitely see the correlations. And just as the religious right has gained tremendous political power in the United States, um, a similar process is occurring in Israel, right? So we see a, a political group that is not the majority, right, of the population, but because of certain political, you know, characteristics of the system, this group has been able, has been able to gain much more, you know, political power compared to its real size in, in the population. So, I mean, I, I, I mean, the, the, uh, the, the five justices who decided Dobbs in the United States, they don't represent the American public, right? Two-thirds of Americans support a woman's right to abortion. And then these five ultra-conservative justices write this decision that has nothing to do uh, with uh, public opinion. And the only reason these people have been appointed to the court is because the Republican Party lost any sense of accountability, right? The, every political party should be first and foremost accountable to the public, should try to serve public interests. This is no longer the case, not in the United States, in Israel, in Israel. Look what's going on in Israel now with a person um, 
with, you know, Benjamin Netanyahu, most probably returning to power, willing to do everything, everything he can do, right, just to return to power. And he will sell the entire country just to, you know, to, to regain uh, uh, his position as a prime minister. I think the same was true for Donald Trump, who appointed the three ultra-conservative and changing for decades, for decades now, the Supreme Court. This is horrible how cynical politicians who don't have real public support, how for their own, to serve their own interests, how they're, you know, changing the system entirely. So the same is true for Israel. I must say that I, I, I don't know if you, if you saw, but there, there have been several campaigns, anti-strong, anti-abortion campaigns in Israel. My guess is that evangelical money is already pouring to Israel, giving money to all these uh, so-called pro-life. They're actually anti-abortion people uh, who are, you know, advertising these horrible uh, images of murdered babies and all this, you know, really um, disinformation and all these lies uh, that has nothing to do with the true fact of abortion. So unfortunately, uh, that has been the case also in Israel, a coalition that depends on the right, on the votes, of right-wing religious parties, and therefore these parties and these people can determine our fate. And whereas Israeli opinion, public opinion in Israel supports the right to abortion, this is also the case in the United States. We are we are imprisoned by you know these people, and unfortunately, under these political circumstances, this is where we are in the United States. Uh, uh, the Americans now got Dobbs, which is a, a horrible decision. And in Israel, unfortunately, I was not able for years now to promote what seems to be a more reasonable and, and really just more justifiable uh, legal reform that would recognize a woman's right to abortion. Okay, Dr. Malt, as we finish up here, what are your next steps going forward? You're not leaving this this battle, clearly. Never. Never, right. I, as, as I said, I mean, um, you know, I'm a feminist law professor, and one is not born uh, a feminist. You become a feminist, right? Because your, your personal experiences are really shaping your consciousness. And I think the abortion I was seeking as a very young married woman it was really the event that, you know, shaped my, uh, uh, my feminist consciousness. And this was the moment I understood how reproductive rights are central, so central to women's equal citizenship, right? This is really the cornerstone of everything. A, a society that allows forced pregnancy a state that forces women to carry pregnancies to term, this is unheard of. Societies like this cannot be called societies who are really committed to gender equality. So my ultimate goal is to promote legislative reform. But until then, there are many other uh, uh, procedural reform. The most important one is uh, the psychiatric evaluation. This is not in the law. This is a directive that was issued by the Minister of Health in the 90s. 
and I'm working very, very hard to abolish this requirement. So there's a lot still to do at the administrative level. And as long as I'm here, I'm going to try to make it better for women uh, seeking to terminate an unwanted pregnancy. Dr. Remalt, we thank you for all of your efforts and we're going to keep on following your work and what you're doing and hoping that you get to the goals that you want to get to. Thank you very much. Thanks, Dr. Remalt. Listeners, we'll be back next week with another Times Will Tell. In the meantime, good listening. Thanks so much for listening to Times Will Tell from the Times of Israel and thanks to our producer, Gilad Brownstein. Please subscribe wherever you find your podcast and check out our daily briefing news show every Sunday through Thursday. Like what you hear? Consider rating us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify to spread the word. Until next week. Shalom. Shalom.